Hello, there I am. That song's a calorie burner. In fact, it's such a calorie burner, I feel as though I need a little nourishment to regain my strength. You guys don't mind, do you? Just got some M&Ms here to hold me over. So, I shouldn't going to annoy you too much if I eat while I'm... Hold on a second, it's getting dry. Oh, wait. Here you go. Probably should leave the, leave the lid off. I love food. And so, I hardly find any time where I'm away from it. I love it a lot in these last few months. <laughs> so, uh, coming back on. And uh, I find it's like the thing that gets me through winter. Uh, can I get an amen? Amen. Food is amazing, isn't it? All right, I am going to get rid of stuff here because it's driving me crazy. I wonder if Paul had to deal with this. His earbuds falling off while he was trying to preach. Um, oh, yeah, food. Uh, I, I enjoy it. It's kind of, I, it's, I'm a little embarrassed to say it, but I think a lot of you can relate to this. You just won't admit it like I'm about to in front of hundreds of people, but... Like, if you said, hey, Brent, let's go to lunch, and it's 9 in the morning, you're saying, let's go to lunch at noon. For the next three hours, I'm thinking about what I'm going to get off the menu. It's like I start to obsess about, hey, man, this is going to be great. We're going out to lunch. It's not like I never get to go out. It's just one of those things that just starts overtaking. I love food. I love the variety of it. And when I'm talking variety, I mean real variety. I love to be able to choose between McDonald's fries or Burger King fries. That's real variety. Whether or not to put um, you know, banana peppers or just regular peppers on my sub at Subway or something like that. Or to go without any of those things and just go to Taco Bell and it's a mystery meal. It's like put, every, put whatever you want in there, I don't care. As long as it's got hot sauce. And so, this is probably pretty distracting, right, while I'm eating, while I'm doing this. But I have a point, I think, I hope. But food to me is like the constant reminder of your priorities. You know, this time of year, you start to notice that the pop-up ads and the spam and all that sort of stuff is starting to back off on the whole weight loss thing because December, January was their time for the industries to really hit you with, I know what you're thinking about. You said you're going to eat healthier come January 2. Um, and, and uh, you know, you're going to get into a workout program. You're going to do all those things. And so come the end of February, they're starting to fall off because they're like, that's not our prime. Oh, these guys have already blown it by now. And they're starting to think about, you know, all the guilt and everything. So they stop, they start slowing that down, all those advertisements and stuff. Because by now, all of the things that we said we were going to do have a tendency to go out the window. It's very difficult to uh, keep the momentum going. And so, oh, these are so good. Is this like, don't you, oh, well, I'll share one, but you're going to have to catch it fast. If food can be a distraction. It can be a hindrance to life. It can be um, a great addition. It can be something that brings variety and comfort. We call some foods comfort foods, right? Because when life is kind of stinky or the weather is awful or something like that, and we just feel like, man, this just isn't fun right now. Food gets fun and food fills in that, that void sometimes, but it doesn't last, does it? And you don't always feel so great after you've indulged. If anybody's had a uh, chocolate shake from from McDonald's, you know exactly what I mean. 
Like, it looks like an awesome thing in about three quarters of the... I find that the Burger King ones expand in you later on. It's like somebody added water to some kind of styrofoam thing, and it just kind of starts pushing out your ribs. It's really weird. So that's a public service announcement. Use caution when going for the uh, Burger King shake. But the point being is that uh, food can either be something that hinders our progress or it could be something that enhances it. Um, a few years back, I was sick of looking at my, my big fat face on our announcement videos. Oh, it was the office videos. That's what it was. I looked at my face on the, announce, on the office videos and I said, something's got to change, you know. And uh, so I started learning some things about eating and, and uh, I had to get to a point where they, I wish I had stuck with this, but I had to get to a point where food became just the thing you use to get through the day. It isn't the thing you're looking forward to. And, um, and, and for that period of time in my life, to be able to get on the other end of this and change your metabolism and everything, you had to look at food as just the thing that you kind of have to deal with when it's time. And you sort of force it on yourself and everything. That was a hard, hard, hard transition for me to get to. But once I started doing that, things started changing and I started seeing some results and some, some momentum and everything. And then it wasn't as critical that I watched every single thing I ate because my body was already trying to burn up everything I was feeding it. Um, I have long since let that progress slow down. Don't get me wrong. I'm not up here trying to be the fitness expert. But that was the thing that had to change in my mind is that food became the thing that I used instead of the thing that owned me. And uh, when, when we're talking about the thing, you're, you're thinking, okay, this is a food seminar in church on a Sunday morning. The guy's eating M&Ms right in front of me and everything. What I'm getting at is if we don't manage the things of this earth with some caution with some uh, regard for how they can overtake us, then it's going to end up owning us and dragging us down a road that we didn't want it to go. And I think food is a great example because it's just one of those things we all deal with. Three or four times a day, if we're being honest, that's staring us right in the face going, so what are you going to do now? You said you were going to eat better, but I'm staring you right in the face. This whoopie pie or this whatever. Am I making you hungry yet? And so uh, so when when you're looking at that, you go, I have, I've got to figure out what I'm going to do in this moment three or four times a day. And Jesus being the master opportunist, the one that could use any illustration, anything that, that, that people were fixated or focused on, used food to, to uh, give his disciples a view of something that they weren't seeing. And uh, it, was, it, it, came, it, it comes in uh, John chapter 4. This is just on the heels of Jesus after they're traveling, he's weary and he's worn out and he sits down on the side of a well. The scripture says he's wearied from his travel, so he basically plunks down on this well and along comes a woman who's drawing water. And Jesus asks her for a drink. And without going into all the background of the story, because it isn't the, the focus of our time this morning, uh, it was very strange for a man to address a woman and just keep a normal conversation in that, in that regard. And so Jesus started doing that, but he keyed in on the fact that she also was getting water for the thirst in her life and the people around her. And so Jesus, being thirsty, said, would you please give me a drink? And then he uses that to say, if you knew who was talking to you, you'd understand that the water that I could offer you that's much better than this well will, will quench your thirst so that you'll never thirst again. Jesus uses this illustration of water to get her to see, well, wait a second, what are you talking about? What, what in the world could there be, what well could there be that would provide for our thirst in such a way that it would never come back? And Jesus, of course, is talking about himself. He's talking about the life that he could give her would quench that thirst. 
So after Jesus ministers to this woman, and it's effective. I mean, if you want to talk about an effective outreach or an effective evangelism, this was it. She's repented. She's running back to the village. She's telling all of her friends and family, I think I found the Messiah. He told me everything that I did, and now I've seen the error of my ways. And and she had a reputation in town, so people knew if she was owning up to these things, something must have happened. And so they actually start following her back. Talk about instant uh, effect or instant uh, results. She's bringing a crowd back with her to meet Jesus. Somewhere along the way, Jesus knows his disciples have gone off to get food. The Bible tells us he had to plunk down on the well because he was tired and weary. So when the disciples arrive back, all of this stuff has already happened. And they look at him. And we're going to pick up the story in John chapter 4, verse 31. It says, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. They're concerned for him. They can see it all over his face. Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. They start looking at each other. Does Jesus have a stash of Twinkies we didn't see? What's, what's going on? What is he talking about? He has food we don't know anything about. Did one of you guys feed him and you sent us all the way into the village to get food? And now the need is met. They were confused. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? I don't know if you've been around people that, um, I don't mean this in a negative way, but sometimes it, it uh, catches you off guard. You're trying to talk on a very simplistic level, you know, just dealing with the issues of the day, and somebody's always got this giant metaphor, or they've got this thing that they're going to solve, and, you know, you're just talking about the fact that you wore a blue sock and a black sock by accident, and they're like, you know, that makes me think about the things of the world. And it, it's always like, kind of like, really, I was just talking about mismatched socks. Jesus might have had that effect on his disciples from time to time because everything they presented to him he could use as an illustration. He was he was trying he had a limited time to do this and so he was going to bring his disciples to see something bigger than what was staring him right in the face. And so he does just this and we don't really have um, all the 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 in between the lines the response of the disciples to Jesus. But you can imagine that here we go again we're going to get another lesson on all these things that um we weren't seeing or if they were the type that were trying to score points with the master they could say man i missed it i knew he was going to go there i almost said something and i missed it one of these days we're going to cut him off at the pass we're going to say hey jesus see that fruit hanging from the tree doesn't that make you think of and then they come up with their own thing but either way jesus is dropping something on them that must have seemed like 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 an invasion of their thoughts they're thinking about food something very tangible he looks tired he needs nourishment And he says, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. And they start scratching their heads. So he continues to explain. He says, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Now, he had just allowed them to go and find food. He was tired himself. And yet he says, I don't really need it right now. You see, as distracting as my eating was at the beginning of this, Jesus was looking at what would have uh, an hour ago, perhaps, looked like a great offer. Now has become this big distraction. He says, don't you see what's going on here? I just reached out to this woman. Her life has been changed. Miracles are taking place back in her village and amongst the people that she knows. And you guys want to worry about a sandwich right now? It's not really that important, is it? The disciples being humans, were looking at food very humanly. It's what we need for fuel. It's what's going to give us variety in life. And we're weary, we're tired, you know, not everything goes our way every time we walk around town. And so just let us enjoy this moment of comfort, would you? But Jesus said, that's not my food. 
That's not what's going to fuel me. That's not what's going to keep me going. I'm focused on the will of God, of my Father who sent me to seek and to save the lost. And just, even though he wasn't thinking in terms of chapters, but for us, a chapter prior, Jesus says, God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so he's laying it out there for him. He says, this is the will of my father, the work of my of my father. The work of God is to preach the kingdom, to introduce to you guys things that you don't see, things that you are, are missing right in front of your eyes because you're so focused on the life that you have and the life, the only life, you know. And the disciples being human couldn't help but to see the obvious in front of them. Jesus continues in verse 35. He says, you know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are ripe for harvest. We can't wait four months. You're looking at it like in the farmer uh, uh, picture of things. You're looking at it like, look, we did our planting. We did our work. We're going to wait for a little bit and then it'll be harvest time. And Jesus is saying, we don't have time for that. Put the sandwich down. We don't have time to eat. Things are happening. People are going to be arriving. They're going to need food that, that, that they, they can't get anywhere else. We can't wait for this to hit. It's now. But it's always later for us. That's why we invented the phrase, why do today what you can put off until tomorrow? It really comes down to looking at life in a couple of different ways. There is going to be a future for us. And are we looking for a future reward or are we willing to sacrifice the now for a potential future regret? In other words, are we able to look down the road and say, okay, I will put off, I will put aside the things that are tempting me now or things that I think I need to survive or I think I need to chew on in order to make it. And here Jesus is saying, no, there's a much bigger thing going on. It's called seeking and saving the lost. And it, guys, if you give it a try, I'm telling you, you'll feel like, ah, I don't even need rest or sleep or food or anything like that. I, I'm ready to go, and it's energizing, and it's powerful. And Jesus is saying, it's right here, and it's right now. It's time to do that. And he's, and he's saying, if you're willing to surrender to that path, if you're willing to look towards eternity, you'll be looking for a greater reward instead of a regret after you've eaten that whopper and had that shake and you're like oh what was i doing that for i thought i was so hungry at first and now i just can't even move i saw this illustrated once by francis chan i don't know if you know him uh he's a preacher very effective preacher and stuff so i'm sure i'll butcher his illustration um but please don't tell him i'm using it if anyone's got their smartphone cameras or anything like that don't send it to him because when he sees how bad i'm going to butcher this he'll come from california and slay me uh Our rope here, you can all see this from the back. Tried to get the most obnoxious color so that you could. Our rope here represents eternity. I want you to pretend that it's not wrapped around a piano leg, but instead this rope is going out the door and it's wrapping around the world and it goes on and on and on forever. And if we have eternity here, can you all see the little taped end of this? This is the span of our life here on earth. And you see how... In comparison to all of this that we can't even see the end of because it goes on and on forever, you and I make decisions and we pursue comforts based on what we're going to experience in this tiny little piece. Our life becomes all about this right here. 
Jesus is saying, guys, look, if you're willing to put up with a few trials and tribulations, if you're willing to forego some rest and some some food and all those kinds of things, all the things that you think on the face of this earth are going to keep you happy and safe and give you security, if you're willing to forego some of those things in the short term, look what awaits you here. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Jesus isn't saying if you work hard in this period of time, then maybe you'll get to experience all of this in the kingdom of God. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to those that have already decided to follow him, to commit their lives to pursuing uh, the kingdom of God. So he knows they're already in. It's not like they won't experience this. But he's saying to them, look, don't you understand, guys, that I'm not worried about being hungry in this little span right here? For Jesus, it was even shorter. And we spend so much of our time planning and saving and preparing for even this little piece right here so we can be comfortable later on, so that we can be secure. And we freak out and we panic all along this, maybe just to have it good here one day. And of course, with health and stuff, we never know what we're promised. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's saying, guys, look, I get it. I understand the food thing. It's not like Jesus never ate a, you know, a meal. And he says, right now, what's going on is all of this. And you're trying to distract me with a plate of food. And, I, and, I, and I'm not trying to be a prude here. I'm not trying to say food isn't important or shouldn't be enjoyed. All I'm saying is that right now, my focus is always going to be about doing the will of my Father in the little time that I have in order to experience the reward that comes through all of this. And eternity goes on and on and on forever. It seems silly when you look at it that way, when you see how short a time that we have to do the things that will set us up to enjoy rest and all the things that come with the kingdom of God. And yet we spend our, our, our whole human lives scurrying about and freaking out and panicking and all of those things. It's easy for us to do because so many things in our lives are designed to be put off. We're allowed to extend our payments where if we if we screw up our education now, we can come back and do it later. You know, health, uh, our medicine's getting so good and surgeries are so precise and things that we can do what we want now because eventually a doctor will fix it. They'll come in and they'll hardly even cut me open and they'll fix the problem. So much of our life makes us think that we can just sit on it for now, do what we feel like doing, do what we want to do, and eventually we'll be able to fix the problem down the road. And the only thing that the world doesn't like putting off is fun and freedom and going with your feelings and all those things. That's, that's not something that should be put off. But a person of faith says, I'm not going to put off the work that counts for eternity, even though the world is staring me in the face, making it so easy to do. Paul even said, he says, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. See, Paul was looking at the end of the race. Somebody started a ministry years ago that I really loved the name of. It was called Finishing Well, and it really focuses on uh, when we're uh, in our retirement age and, and uh, finishing the race strongly. I know Pastor Ron, uh, his passion beats for that as well with his Over the Hill gang and the Amazing Grays and others. To, to not see that we're useless or put on the shelf no matter our age or our physical condition. But to finish the race, to end the race well, to imagine yourself breaking through the ribbon because decades before that even hits, you'll start making decisions differently, saying, well, I don't want to screw up the end of my race. It's time for us to start weighing the value of two different harvests. 
we are going to reap something. We've been sowing something since the beginning of our little black strip at the end of our tape here, at the end of our rope. We've been, we've been sowing something and eventually it will catch up to us. Eventually we will pull it in, we'll pick it off the vine and we'll say, okay, I wonder what I got here. And if we have an earthly mindset, if we're thinking about the things that I can get now, the things that I need now, then what we're going to experience is temporary. Everything that we're going to get, it's, it, earthly values are going to e- equal temporary everything, temporary comfort, temporary security, temporary satisfaction, temporary reward. The problem is, is feeling that for a moment kind of lies to us and sets us up for failure because it's like, hey, it's working. You know, I, I earned extra money or I, I, I got a better vehicle or I, I got my kids into college or I got a good health report and things. And so you see, I don't have to worry about all this God stuff as much. I check in, I do my thing and stuff, but I mean, I got a pretty good balance of things going on right now. And so temporary things have a tendency to lie to us and set us up. But if we go to uh, eternal values, eternal values give, give us something a little bit different. You, you thought I was just going to say future everything. It is going to give you future comfort, future security, future satisfaction and reward. That's what our entire rope represents. All of those things promised to us when we say goodbye, earth. I'm going to my, to my home on the other side of the shore. And so we go to heaven. Yes, we experience those things. But also we can't miss the fact that immediately God, because of his grace, promises us that we're going to have comfort. Not easiness, but comfort even in the midst of troubles. We're going to have security knowing that that little black strip of our, of our rope isn't all that we've got. It could get as awful as, as it could ever be in that time. But at some point... I'm going to be relieved of all of that. I'm going to shed my mortal coral, as they say, and I'm going to move into my heavenly body and I'm going to experience rest and sin will be no more and pain will be no more and all of those things. But there's also an immediate security that comes with that. There's an immediate satisfaction and an immediate reward. This is illustrated very well in Luke chapter 16. And Jesus is telling a story and Often in Jesus' stories, they're parables, and so they're kind of, um, they're fictitious stories for illustrative purposes and, and stuff. This one's a little bit different in that he names somebody, and so there has been some debate whether or not he's really saying something that happened or if it's a parable, but nonetheless, the point is still as strong. Jesus said, there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived every day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus. Who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried, and his soul went to the place of the dead. There in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity! Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now he's here being comforted and you are in anguish. What a stark contrast for somebody that enjoyed all that life had to offer in that time being, had the best clothes, had the best everything, enjoyed the comforts of life because that's all he could see. And at the moment that he saw that that was just a little sliver of his entire existence, then his desire started to change. 
And he has to, to at least be comforted for a little bit. Just bring me something. And, and this unrelenting answer of just, no, I'm not even going to allow him to dip his finger in the water just to cool your tongue for the brief millisecond that that would have even lasted. Do you see the car, stark contrast? I, I don't know about you, but when I saw this illustration being taught uh, this week, it just... It broke into my world because right around this time of year, I'm just thinking about holding up and staying warm and paying the bills and all that kind of stuff. And then just something hit me. I was like, there is more to it than this. There's more than I'm living for than just the things that are presented to me, just the TV series that I might be wrapped up in or the food I get to eat or all of those things that give me earthly comforts temporarily. There's more to it than this. And inevitably, we always get questions from folks whenever we start talking about the stark contrast between heaven and hell and giving your life for the Lord versus just living for the the things of this world. We always get the question, so what am I going to have to give up in order to do what you're talking about? Now, think about how silly that question is when you see something like this. Here we are talking to everybody about what's being offered all down this line, and people will say to me, yeah, but what am I going to have to suffer for in here? I have to stop listening to the music I like. These are all the things I heard growing up. I have to stop watching R-rated movies. I have to stop, you know, living with my girlfriend. I have to stop doing all these kinds of things. And what we're talking about is, you see what Lord offers us, what he gives us, and you're worried about what you're going to do in these 70, 80, 90 years if you're fortunate to live that long. So the question is out of balance. The question is wrong. We shouldn't be asking the question, what am I going to have to give up? But obviously the question should be, what am I trying to gain and living for eternity isn't the thing of sacrifice all the time it isn't the thing that you're always having to give up the thing that we miss is that living for eternity really does scratch our itches it really does meet our needs in the here and now jesus further uh explains this as he's talking to his disciples when he's going through this he says in in john 4 he says the harvesters are paid good wages That's not a promise of monetary value. He's not saying if you go out and preach the gospel, you'll make lots of money. A lot of people would try to use that verse for that. But he's saying the payoff, the reward for the people doing the harvest now is plentiful. It's good. And here's what it is that they're reaping. He says the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. Yeah, but how's that going to pay the bills? That's the whole point. Jesus is saying, you can bring me food, but I'm not interested in that right now because I'm winning the lost. I'm, I'm reaching people for my father's kingdom. I, I really don't care about those things right now. Wouldn't it be great to not be so worried about providing for ourselves? Wouldn't it be great as the economy just seems like it's falling around like the walls of Jericho right now that we just weren't that concerned about it? Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't do the things to try to to fight or to improve or something. I think we have a stewardship thing with our country, but, but to not be so personally affected like our world is caving in just because our financial things are tough or our job situations are tough. That's what Jesus is talking about. When I'm focused on eternal living, those things don't matter to me as much. Eternal living scratches where we itch. It's because more than just food and clothing and shelter, which we absolutely do need, and Jesus even taught about those basic needs would be provided. Living for eternity provides other things that we hunger for. Because man's true appetite is for meaning. 
Living for God's eternal kingdom makes ordinary tasks rewarding. You know, you can just go through life paying your bills, trying to get the kids in school, trying to figure out who you're, who's going to be your boyfriend or your girlfriend, what, how you're going to make the team, or how you're going to get on the starting lineup, or uh, how you're going to prepare for retirement, or which car to buy, and all of those things in life. You could just go through and do those things, because that's what everyone does, right? They make it from point A to point B, some in fashion, some out of fashion, some with good health, some with poor health, all that kind of stuff. But Living for eternity takes all of those mundane tasks, all those mundane responsibilities, and it gives this longer perspective to it, saying everything I do from this point on will count for much more than I thought it was going to. I pay my bills differently because it affects how I enter the kingdom. I I reach out to those around me because it affects differently how I enter the kingdom. I, I help my kids get ready for school or college or something differently because of we're living for the kingdom. I pick who I'm dating differently because I'm living for the kingdom. I, I represent the Lord on the, on the ball, ball field or on the court or something like that. It changes everything that we normally do in a mundane fashion. It changes our perspective, and it changes even the outcome. I have an example of something that we've been doing here for a few years at, at Faith. We've been um, trying to be faithful to the Scripture and minister to the needs of orphans and widows, um, that definition sometimes changes a little bit depending on the need. But basically what we want to do is we want to have men provide the basic service needs for um, uh, our uh, single moms or, or, or widowed uh, ladies or something along those lines to where, uh, you know, hiring those things out would become very pricey or expensive or just managing the details of, of, of uh, fixing a house or taking care of property or something. And so we've had uh, faithful men over the last few, maybe four years now. I mean, it's really kind of cool to be able to say it's been going that long and as faithful as it's been. Um, these guys dedicate one Saturday a month um, and they don't just go from house to house. They say, okay, this woman needs our presence and our physical labor and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and they say, we'll, we'll stay there until she no longer needs that. And, and a lot of these guys have been going to the same house for three or four years, once a month, uh, and, and just getting lots and lots of stuff done. And this week we heard from one of our ladies just to be able to gush on her team a little bit. And I won't include any names or anything, but... She writes and says, Thank you for listening and following God's calling and inspiration to love and serve Him and others. Thank you for leading faithful men, faithful men to Christ, who, like yourself, are sacrificing time and talents to benefit widows and orphans. The book of James is my favorite book. It's truly practical Christianity. I appreciate very much my team. Each man is distinctly wonderful, uniquely qualified, and sincere in their service to the Lord and us. They're a fun team. It's a delight to watch them accomplishing their tasks and meeting their goals. They always seem to leave in an uplifted mood and leave me with the belief that they're eager to come again. What a joy. It is a pleasure, too, to have times to talk, plan, and pray together with them. I am ever grateful for the relief, comfort, strength, energy, hope, cheerfulness, helpfulness, and wisdom of these men. I'm also grateful for the support of their wives, their families, and our church community who nurture the spirit of loving kindness in action. How blessed me and my son are. This is a special legacy for my boy to receive. Remember and reproduce as God continues to influence his life with real men. And I love hearing those kinds of things. I happen to just be copied in the email, and I scooped it right up because it is accomplishing the thing that we set out for, not the thanks, not the accolades. But I can tell you that those men, in receiving that word of thanks, 
something in them kind of took the fatigue out. Something in them took out the whole monotony of, well, we've got to go and do the same thing, or it's a lot of hard work, or it's, you know, it's a Saturday I could really use. And you hear the, the eternal impact that that can make, and all of a sudden you go, okay, when are we going back? Hey, give us a longer list. We're ready to keep going. That's what Jesus was trying to present to his disciples. He says, when you're focused on eternal things, the things of this earth, they don't fuel you like the things from heaven do. Man has a true appetite for meaning. He also has a true appetite for relationship and living for eternity provides that. Jesus continues and says, what joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? You know the saying, one plants and another harvests, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you'll get to gather the harvest. There's that camaraderie. He says, some people have already done the, the groundwork and the planting and everything, and you just get to come in and, and pick it off the vine, and guess what? No one's going to be offended by that. No one's going to be upset saying, hey, I did all the work. How come they get to clean up? An eternal focus is one that, that is built on uh, uh, stripping away pride and competition. It, it creates a whatever-it-takes-to-win mentality. And in that, you start to form a relationship with other people. Because people like seeing that. People warm up to that. Living for eternity makes us better here on this earth. When you start to evaluate your opportunities and your responsibilities in the light of, am I going to receive a future reward or am I going to have future regret? When you stop, even just to start thinking about that, it becomes instantly noticeable to the people around you. Do you know this world is screaming for maturity? Our kids are getting older and older and older, if you understand what I mean by that. Boys are not becoming men until they're 35, 40, 50, if at all. And our men have been uh, learning once a month when we ask them to stick around and, and watch some videos with us and stuff. They're learning what the Bible defines as a real man. And what we're hearing is the consistent part of that definition is that a man is one who takes responsibility. For somebody to pull back and say, am I going to have whatever action it is, whatever decision I have, is this going to produce a future reward or future regret? And they start changing their actions based on that evaluation. You start to develop a maturity that other people go, well, someone's taking life seriously. That's nice to see. It's about time. You start to have an impact on those around you. Eternal living makes us better earthlings, if I can use that expression. The Bible isn't calling us to stop existing in the world. Jesus wasn't trying to say, get that food out of here. It's disgusting. I have more important things to do, you know. Jesus enjoyed food, I'm sure. But he said, not right now. I, right now, that is the furthest thing from my mind. Why? Because something else, the real thing that drives me, has presented itself. And I couldn't even think about something earthly right now. So the Bible isn't calling us to stop existing in the world, but a caution does exist. The Bible says that we're to be in the world, but not of it. To operate in it, but not be consumed by it, not, be latched, uh, not have it latch its hold on us. John also tells his readers, he says, do not love this world nor the things that it offers you. When you start to distance yourself from the need of the world's approval, their affection, their supply, all those kinds of things, and you start to evaluate your life based on future reward or future regret, it starts to change the relationships around you. 
So here's what I would encourage you to do this morning. Please, let the eternal invade your earthly existence. It is not easy to do. When you're thinking about food as just one example, it is the thing that consumes your mind. Remember I said, it's like if you tell me we're going to lunch at noontime at 9 o'clock, that's what I'm thinking about. I have to turn the switch off if the Lord's going to speak to me. I have to get in his audience if he's going to start talking to me about things that are eternal rather than just focusing on the things I think I need in that moment. So please let the eternal invade your earthly existence. Listen to Jesus more. Remember, Jesus wasn't talking to the lost per se when he was said this message applies to the lost, but he was even talking to those that have already had a secure salvation and love from the father. Even those of us that walk in faith, that have the promise of a hope in heaven, and this rope for us represents splendor and rest and joy and completeness and all those things. He says, that little end part of your rope, that black part over there that you're calling, you know, your real life, is, is, is fighting for your attention. It's fighting for your thoughts. You have to let me in more. I'd also ask you to look for, to make your mundane count for the eternal. Think about the things that you're going to do the minute you get out of here and say, Lord, how is this supposed to count for eternity? Even if you don't know what the answer is, just start asking the question. He'll start to answer that question. To start with, Paul would encourage us out of Philippians to say, to, by saying, think of others better than yourself. It's the most immediate thing you can do when you walk out of here is how am I going to serve somebody? Also, I'd encourage you to live for a kingdom bigger than this earth. I'm going to close with this passage of scripture from Paul as well. He says, dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I've told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They're headed for destruction Think about what defines them. He says their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things and they think only about this life here on earth. But we're citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we're eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. He'll take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he'll bring everything under his control. You know, the operation here at Faith, if I can call it that, the church here um, exists to carry out the will of God, to seek and save those who are lost, to call our community to Christ. We do that through evangelism. We do that through worship. We do that through the teaching and preaching of his word. We do it through small groups. Everything that we launch, if you will, here as a ministry of faith is to that end. So now think about all the pieces that have to come together for that to happen. A security team, a children's uh, ministry, um, uh, you know, ushers, greeters, um, things in print, things on the radio, all these kinds of things. Uh, those are the things that we believe the Lord's laid on our lap to provide in order for that mission to end in a way that pleases him, that, that counts for all of eternity. So jumping into any one of those spots along the way is something that counts for eternity. You know, we say it all the time. It's not just the guy who's behind the pulpit or, 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 or singing or it's not just the guy who's, who's leading a team out there or teaching a Sunday school. God uses all of these components together to reap the harvest of lives for all of eternity. And we're just inviting you to jump in. We're inviting you to do more than just say, okay, this is my Sunday of checking in. I really want to get involved and make things count for eternity. Would you please stand and we'll close in prayer. Lord God, this morning uh, we are talking about things that are, we can't see, 
Uh, we can't touch it all the time. They feel very intangible to our world. The things that scream for our attention, like our food and our rest and our jobs and our families and all of those things, are things that are ever, always before us. And so, Lord, we need an invasion of your truth and of your voice into our life for us to be reminded to think for a life that's bigger than the one that we have here. So I pray, Lord, that everything that we do count. I pray that everything that we offer to you, Lord, is something that is offered in faith, knowing that you can make it so much better than what even we can put in for effort. So we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, most of all for your patience with us when we get so caught up in the rat race. As you sit in heaven knowing all that awaits us, Lord, it just must break your heart, the trade-offs that we make. So we pray, Lord, for your forgiveness. We pray, Lord, for your grace to be so much more evident to us that we wouldn't abuse it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.